Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. I uh, I have a new sponsor. I have a new great sponsor, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm only as hip as my guest, but I'm getting hipper. I've got this new single-serve coffee combo from Cafe Valet. Their brewers are inexpensive, as little as $25 for a brewer that comes with 10 sample coffee packs, where it's just $20 when you use a discount code cooper put it in all capitals you don't have to but you can do it it says cooper so compared to other single serve coffee systems you can save up to a hundred bucks with cafe valet i get the great tasting cup of coffee brewed in just minutes just the way i like it every time so how's that for him so go to cafevalet.com and use the code cooper and save even more money that's right that's cafevalet.com and the coupon code is cooper and get this combo for just 20 bucks man and i'm gonna tell you it's really good coffee so anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I usually don't read spots on the air, and I'm my guest Matt Matt Price. I, I know you you do voice stuff. How did I do? Did I do? Okay? I thought you did great. Was, I want I'm <clears throat> I don't drink coffee, but I I would because of that. It's a good deal. I tell you. I, I know. Yeah. I only drink because of how you read it. I would I would drink it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, you're uh, you're on the show today, and uh, you know you're from Chicago originally, right? Yep. Okay. Now now you you've got an animation acting and all that. As a kid. Were you just fascinated? Because I always wonder how, like, people go and, like, you know, we all draw and we try to be creative when we're little, but a lot of us take it in different ways. When you were a kid, were you fascinated with cartoons, or, or did you know you wanted to get into business, or, like, as a kid, what, what caught your eye? Well, first of all, my mom's a puppeteer, so when I was a kid, I loved, you know, I'd see my mom tell stories and do puppet shows and stuff, so I was immediately just drawn to any, like, cool you know, sort of odd story. Um, and I loved cartoons. I did love cartoons. I mean, this is the only, the show, I, so I write on regular show. I'm a story editor for regular show on the Cartoon Network. That's the only animated show I've ever worked on. Um, but I did love cartoons as a kid. I was a big Saturday Night Live kid. What was like, like that was my thing. What was it like I when I, with your mom being a puppeteer? I mean, it's it's got to be a little bit different because I would think as a kid, it must be really cool. Because, yeah. you know, we sit there like my mom was a, you know, house wife, but in between when she was a marketing executive and she'd right. come down with like, we'd be happy when she worked for Campbell Soup, like we get free soup. Sure. Know? But as a puppeteer, it's it's, it must have been amazing. It must have just been fun. It was really fun. Yeah. I mean, it was very, I mean, I don't know anybody else who grew up like that. Right. And it was just, I mean, you know, it was a really, it was a great creative way to grow up. Like my Mom was always making puppets, and there was just always arts and crafts around in the house. Uh, there were always people staying in our house that were like, you know, other kids performers, like uh, like a magician would stay in our in our basement. We'd always have people kind of stay over. See, that's of course. Like, like friends of hers, like other puppeteers, and got this guy that showed animals at schools would stay in our basement a lot. It's just like a you know fun creative environment. So, so you, so you grew up in that environment, mm-hmm. and now and and. So basically, there, there's is entertainment in your blood. I mean, that's just a given. I mean, it's something sure. that, you know. So it pours through me. What's it pours? It pours Googly right out. the eyes, yeah, yeah, just run through me. Now, as a uh, as in high school, were you involved in acting, or what? What was your what were your plans in high school? I didn't really have plans in high school. I mean, I was involved in acting. I did a lot of musicals and stuff. I was in this thing. We had this thing in our high school. So I grew up. I was born in Chicago. I grew up in Evanston, which is right next. Are you a Chicago person? No, I. But I've had a lot of Chicago people on the show. Okay. I'm a Philadelphia guy. So okay. So it looks sort of like-minded. I feel like Philly. But we always Chicago. We always accept like in really proud of their cities. I think. Yeah, and like we always said, you know. Philly, I mean, East Coast people are like there's East Coast cities, but Chicago's one of us. Like you're right, like, yeah. like like people go, what about Milwaukee? No, no, you're not. No, Chicago's <laughs> one of us. Right. 
Yeah. Um. So in high school in in Evanston Evanston Township, which is where I went to high school, they have this thing called Yamo, which is kids uh, high school kids. They write and perform. Uh, like you know, it's like a, a review, but it's like comedy and music and stuff. But it's all kids writing it. So that was something I was really involved in, and that made me. You know, it wasn't like we were. I feel like a normal track in high school or you know college or whatever. You're doing like Romeo and Juliet or West Side Story or whatever, and we did those things too. But I was super involved in Yamo, and uh, that to me was a real eye opener. Like, oh shit, you can write and perform your own thing. Like, you know, I mean, obviously, I, again, I saw my mom, you know, having a business where she would write and perform stories. Um, but for me to do it as a kid. I was like, oh man, this is this is something I'd like to do. So that kind of opened my eyes a lot. And now you went to Michigan. I went to Michigan, yeah. As but an English major. I was an English major, yeah. Now, now, how did I mean? Why did you choose English? I mean, yeah, yeah, we're doing the Yamo, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, did you just did you say I'm going to go into writing? Or I mean, because English is one of those things that I always thought is if you if you're an English major, a lot of times it seems like you may become a teacher or you yeah. may you may do that. But what, did you think about that? I did. I thought. I mean, so. Growing up, I really wanted to be in Second City. That was like my big dream. Um, and I took classes there and stuff. So when I went to college, I wasn't thinking. I really didn't have a plan. I thought maybe I would teach English. But I didn't really, I wasn't, especially in the beginning, I wasn't thinking like that this was, college was necessarily going to help my, <laughs> and this probably isn't the best thing to say, but I wasn't really thinking of it like this was going to set me up for the future, like whatever I studied. Oh, I you agree know? with you. I mean, my, my degree was in business. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, I did it when I got out. I sold fax machines from the time that they were big. Hmm. But all my all my roommates, you know, none of us followed our path. One's a pilot now. One's a recruiter. Ooh. One's a uh, a caterer. He owns a catering company. Mm-hmm. So I think I think college a lot of times also is it's it just gets you to know who you are and what you really want. I think it's sort of like a it's a minor to your your major is your minor. The major in college to me is getting you prepared for life. And then you sit there and go, okay, well you know what. I can use this if I need to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I felt like I, I loved being, I mean, I was in Ann Arbor and I loved it. And I met a lot of, you know, great people there. And and I took a lot of creative writing classes and that helped a lot. Um, taught me a lot. But but really, I was, again, I was performing a lot. I was in the sketch troupe and, and I was, you know, we formed an improv troupe, which had a terrible name. What was it? It was highly improbable. <laughs> and, uh. Not good. And, uh, <laughs> but we were good, you know, we were, and I met, you know, Mike Blyden, you know, I met, you know, he's a good friend of mine and he ended up being a comedy collaborator for a long time. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, like you said, it kind of just prepared me for, it was like my, the, the whole experience was like my major, you know, but the actual, the other stuff, I, I wasn't, I just wasn't really, I didn't really have a plan. My, also my dad went there and he was really like, he was like, he really wanted me to go there. So I only applied to two schools. You got it was sort of a foregone conclusion. I got in. But Michigan's a hard school to get into. That's academically a good school. Well, I was a really smart kid. No. Um, I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, it is a, it's a, it's a great school, and, and your, I loved it. What were your SATs? My, what, how did I do? I was really good at math in high school, so I got a 750. That's awesome. On my math SAT. And then English, I don't think I even, ironically, because I was my major, I feel like I got five, let's see, if it was 750, five, like 20 or something. I don't think I did. So you got like a 1270. That's good. Yeah, it was, it was good. 
So you're a smart guy. I'm all right. See, I got like a math thousand, carried it though. I, I was more of a math guy. Yeah. And I got like, but I got like a thousand twenty. I was that's why I went to a state school in New hey, Jersey. Hey man. So so now you you're, you're here though. Exactly. You made it. We're in LA. I, yeah. Yeah. So so now you get out of school. Mm-hmm. And now when do you start saying okay? Because you had the sketch, and which which actually is very proactive. Because most people in college don't think of getting a sketch trip together or getting an improv trip together. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times they don't. So, so when you're when you're getting towards graduation, do you sit there and think, okay, I'm going to follow this career path into entertainment, or what? What are you? What are your thoughts when you're graduating? Yeah, totally. So when I graduated, I mean, I I graduated it was highly improbable. We all graduated <clears throat> at the same time, pretty much. And that was you. So it's myself, my uh, Mike Blyden, who lives out here now, um, my friend Tom, who was my writing partner at the time, and who, I mean, I'll get to that in a second, my friend Wendy, who's also still involved in, you know, she does writing, she lives in Florida, uh, and then uh, two other friends, Deb and Dave, who I have nothing to do with, Any of the, one's a doctor and the other's a like a, a life coach. Okay. Um, but the, the six of us were like... I was very torn because I thought, well, I really want to move back to Chicago and audition for Second City. And I was an intern there. I took classes there. I was, uh, I performed at I.O. Like, I just loved it. I loved it there. But then the six of us were like, no, we could move to New York because Wendy was already there. So she was like, come to New York. She was working for MTV. She was like, they'll see us, you know, whatever. So there's a dilemma. And I ended up uh, going out to New York. You know, after uh, about four or five months, and uh, we tried it there. We, we, you know, highly improbable. <laughs> took Manhattan, took it by storm. You went crazy in Manhattan. Went crazy, a lot of freeze tag. <laughs> you know, all over the place. It's funny you're talking about improv because I was watching some of the town hall meeting last night with Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I was watching actually the highlights today. If you want to mm-hmm. go on this, and every time she talked, like when that kid asked her the question, where her arms flailed, it reminded me of someone who's really bad at improv, mm-hmm. but they want to look good. It's like you see someone goes do this, and they freak. I was just dying. I was going improv people. You guys must look at that and go stop. Just sit the hell down and talk. Yeah, just take it. Take a breath. <laughs> So, Better so, object work. So what happens in New York when you get highly improbable there? So highly improbable uh, goes and takes it by storm. <laughs> and we performed a lot. I mean, we all, you know, we all got temp jobs in the day. <clears throat> Excuse me, performed at night. And uh, and then one day, <clears throat> um, it was, you know, like, I will say to our credit, we really stayed at it, you know. We didn't get frustrated and just say, well, this is the most dense city in the world no one gives a shit about our freeze tag we were just you know so we were slowly like meeting people and and doing our thing and then probably i want to say it was two years later uh an executive from mtv saw saw some of us perform i don't remember in what combination but you know saw one of our shows and and then people mtv started coming to our shows mainly because of wendy who worked there and um and then Wendy, Tom, and I got hired to write on this pilot for MTV called Idiot Savants. And then that sort of just started, you know, then I worked for MTV for a couple of years after that. Idiot Savants, uh, who hosted that? Idiot Savants was hosted by Greg Fitzsimmons. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, so I thought. So he hosted it. I became the co-host. Uh, Tom and I were the head writers. And then that started a couple of years of me working for MTV, like I was on the show Apartment 2F with the Sklar Brothers. Um... I was on some other, you know, I worked for, like, I wrote for Tom Green, you know, I wrote on a couple other shows, I wrote for Dennis Rodman, like, 
that was sort of that like late '90s kind of. What's era. it like writing for Dennis? I mean, what do you write for Dennis Rodman? I mean, because he's. Is, I mean, is I mean he, we wrote a lot. He didn't say any of it, but we wrote. Is he tons to, of things? Is he trying to tell jokes or what was he? No, he was his manager. I remember his manager said that what I thought was a really wise thing about him. He said, you know, Dennis is like. His head is just because this is the peak of Dennis Rodman's, like in pop culture. I think he was know? giant. I mean, we, people don't people don't remember. You know, they think of him now. You don't hear much of him. But when he was blowing up, he mm-hmm. was like him and Madonna were rumored. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like a rock star. He was a total rock star. So, but his manager said that his head is always full of static. You just have to remember that because so many people are talking in his ear, whether it's like Madonna's people or you know the Bulls or or whomever. Or us, you know, MTV. It's like he just can't possibly sort it all out. This wasn't his, you know. He was a pretty like mellow guy before he. Oh yeah, when you, you see know, all the highlights of him, he's just before he get all tatted up. He was just a he was defensive just a, basketball player. Kind that of no a one, humble, yeah, yeah, quiet guy, and that's where he came from. And now he's, you know, it's, you know, insane celebrity. But anyway, we, the only thing I think he ever wrote or read that we wrote because we'd write bits for him to do, which is just ridiculous. Like you're writing a bit for Dennis right. Rodman, you know, like why is that gonna work? And so, the only bit he ever did was we wrote a top ten. He was on Letterman, and we wrote some kind of top ten list for him. And I don't even remember if he read it or if Letterman read it, but he brought it on the show and kept in his pocket. And then he suddenly was like, "Uh, I think I, I think the guys wrote something." <laughs> and then he kind of fished it out of his pocket. It was very weird. But otherwise, I don't think any of it, anything that we wrote, aired. So you're writing for that, but you're also getting on TV. Now, you, did you enjoy yeah. getting on? Did, did people recognize you at all? Because a lot of people watch MTV. And what was that like? I mean, it's it was always fun to be recognized. Because I was like 25. Right. So, that's like so a, it was like a crazy, like living in Manhattan and working on a TV show was just amazing. You know, that was just a dream. And then, because it's very rare. I mean, it's a very rare period. But to do it in Manhattan... And 25. And 25. Like, it was all very surreal. And then, yeah, sometimes people would be like, I mean, I played this, um, <clears throat> not as many people recognize me from Idiot Savants, but I played this kind of like, you know, hip, like I was a kid who wanted to be a rapper before that was just a very omnipresent thing on TV. Right. But, um, and some people recognize me for that, but I'm so not like that in real life, so... <laughs> Did you develop the character, or I developed it in our in highly improbable sketch show? Okay. Uh, I developed that character, and then Randy and Jason really liked it, and I did it on stage with them a bunch of times. They had a stage show uh, in Manhattan, and and then that stage show kind of became it was kind of morphed into Apartment Two F, which was the show. So you so you're doing that in New York, and you're writing, and you're, and uh-huh. you're it's like MTV. I mean, shows come and they go, but they're keeping you yeah. around. It seems like you know you can write, and so you you're sort of getting a home at MTV a little bit. Definitely. Now, yeah, now I loved it, and I was so I was such an oddball there because everybody there was really cool. Yeah. You know, everybody there was like really interesting, and they liked cool music, and they were out at these. Cl- they were like, "Oh, have you heard about uh, the Leopard's Nest?" And I was like, "Nope, <laughs> no, but I know where you know I can know where to get a good hamburger." Like, no, but they would, and I was just this oddball. But for some reason, you know, I mean, our sensibilities, humor-wise, connected. But you know, I just loved it because I was like, oh, I guess they like this kind of nerdy dude. But that's good. Yeah, I loved it. And I then loved you, everything you chill about out. it. You chill out, and if you want, yeah. I bet if you wanted to go to the Leopard's Nest, you could have gone to the Leopard's Nest. I love the Leopard's Nest. It was really fun. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're in New York, and now. Are you sitting there? Is LA on your mind at all, or what's Mm-mm. going through your mind as a, as a as a young twenty five year old writer 
living the dream, which you are living the dream, because, I mean, first of all, to live in Manhattan and be in the performance is great, and to actually mm-hmm. have a paid job where you're not waiting tables, is it must be great. So, I mean, what, what was going through your mind? Honestly, what was going through my mind is, when can I go back to Second City? That was like, your whole... Yeah, like, that was on my mind. I mean, I, I really, you know, when I left... Right before I left, I asked the producer, because I was his intern, the producer at Second City. I said, so I'm thinking about going to New York with Highly Improbable. Do you have any advice? Because I'd really love to do Second City. I'd love to audition for Second City. And he was like, you should go because you're 21. You are you look like you're 18. And generally, people on the stage at Second City, are, you know, they're old. They're like, you know, older. They're grown men and women. And so you should go get some life experience. You just have had college. So I thought that was really good advice. I went to New York and then, but then it was like a, you know, four years later and, uh, and I was still thinking about it, you know, I was still really wanting to do it. And actually I was on apartment 2F and Stephen Colbert, we had guest stars come. There's always like a sketch group and a stand up act and a short film. And Stephen Colbert was a guest and he had been in second city. Right. So when I was an intern, I was interning his show. So I got to know him like a very little bit. He was very, very nice. And he was on Apartment 2F when I was this character, this, you know, hip-hop dude, P-Dog 7. And I asked him, I was going through the stuff. I was like, should I? I'm really kind of torn because I really want to go back to Second... I want to audition for Second City. And he was like, why? And I said, well, I just love Chicago and I miss it. My whole family's there. <clears throat> and he was like, well... He totally understood. But he was like, but you have to understand you're doing what you know, like we all want to do, like, even though I've been through second city, now I'm kind of in New York starting over. So you should stay, you should stay here and just keep pursuing it. And I was, you know, so I stayed and then he became the biggest celebrity of all time. Right. Well, but, and I, uh, you know, but he gave you advice I and floundered. No, yeah, no, no, <laughs> but it, but it was like, it was really just nice of him. And, and that was, I mean, even though, you know, I do even now think, Oh, what are, what if I go back? An audition for Second City, like uh, it was. I think at the time it was the right, it was the right thing, you know, it was well, yeah. the right advice. And also, you know, I mean, of all the people that make it from Second City, there's a ton that don't. I mean, you know, that's the thing you have to forget. I mean, some of these people have been around forever, and they have good, have had great careers, you know. But rec- their people don't know them by name. I mean, you see someone like Peter Holm, who's in like every damn commercial. You know, he's mm-hmm. an IO guy. And then at Second, I think he was Second City, but there's the whole that whole scene. So now, but you were doing the right things. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's so funny. Again, it's like it's like when I went to college, I wasn't thinking about what it would do for me. Like Second City, I never thought about what it would do for me. I only thought I want to be on Second City. Like I just love that theater. I love the stage. I love smelling it when you walk in the stairway. I love, you know, there's something in the air. So I wasn't thinking like, oh, if I do Second City, I can be on Third Night Live. I know that's now the pathway for a lot of people. But at the time, I was really like, I just want to go home. I just want to be near my my family and uh, perform in front of them. So that was hard. But again, from a professional standpoint, I do understand all that other stuff. So how long did you stay in New York? I stayed in New York like another year. And now what did you do? Did you just keep working for MTV? I broke up with my girlfriend. <laughs> I, I worked for MTV. Tom Green was the last show I worked on there. And then, um, and that was hard because he was, he really, again, like, I, it was another show where, like, this dude skyrocketed to fame while we were there. And he was so good at doing his thing. He didn't really need us either. So uh, it was a hard, that was a hard job. And that kind of burned me out. And then 
me and my friend Mike, who I mentioned, and our other friend Jason Nash, we yeah. were performing. Do you know? Do you he, know? Was, he was on the show. Jason. Nash was. Yeah, a oh. while a while ago. Because I remember he sat there and I I, I love this movie. Jason Nash is yeah. married. Yeah. yeah. Thought, okay. Yeah. That yeah. was great. He's like I was when I came out. He had come on and uh-huh. I was like it was that was a really good movie. But he's so so you were performing with him now. Yeah. So Bly, Nash Blyden and I were a trio. So highly improbable. When I started doing a lot of stuff with MTV, highly improbable broke. <laughs> you're the guy who broke him. You broke up Highly Improbable. You're the Yoko Ono of Highly Improbable. I am, absolutely. You God. No. No, it was, it was all amicable. Right. <laughs> well, mostly amicable. But anyway, uh, Mike uh, Nash and I started performing together, and it was it was really fun, and uh, we went to Aspen. Oh, wait, we didn't go to Aspen. We were in New York. Well, anyway, we were, um, we were having a great time, and uh, did we go to Aspen? It doesn't matter. What, was, you, what was your name? Price Nash and Blyden. Okay, so you just, okay. Just last name. Sounds like a law firm. I learned from Highly Improbable. Okay. <laughs> Don't try and be goofy. I want to get a Highly Improbable t-shirt. Do you have I, I have a bowling shirt. Oh, okay. So, so, you one. <laughs> so you guys are hanging out and you're, you're performing. Performing and then our managers were like, have you thought about going to LA because, uh, you know, you've, you've done this scene uh, and I don't know how much more you can do here. Um. But do you want to, you know, there's so many more opportunities in L.A. And um, and we, so I had never thought about moving to L.A. I didn't particularly like L.A. Um, I'd been there once with an MTV, with, or twice with MTV, but I never wanted to live there. And then next thing you know, we all moved there. And uh, and then we started doing our show here. So you came and you brought your show out here. Now, mm-hmm. what was that like? Because once again... You know, you're known in New York, but it's like anything. You're starting over somewhat mm-hmm. in LA. So, I mean, did you have to sit there? 100% starting over. Not so, even somewhat. So, how did you get your, the show off the ground? Did you have to sit there and find a theater? And do, or what did you guys do? It was the same thing, really, as when Highly Improbable went. I mean, we, you know, Nash and Blyden had a few more connections. Um, I think they were both working out here a little bit, definitely more than me. And so, and Nash is very, um, Nash is very good at just like seeking something out nailing it down and then like we'll start he was very good for us like so i think he found this he loved going you know jones on third yeah so he would go to jones on even though none of us had any money i guess he had a little money um because he was working more but he would go to jones on third all the time and uh so he there was a cabaret next to jones on third called maskers this little i know you remember it yeah it's gone now but yeah, they used to have comedy shows there. And Nash walked in there and he was like, hey, can we perform? You know, can we? I've got this comedy show. And so we started performing there. But it was the same thing. Nobody knew who we were. And we just did our show. And slowly people came. And, and uh, you know, and then it was just that L.A. thing where, like, people were suddenly coming. And like, oh, have you heard about, you know, da 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 And I mean, that's the only time in my life that's ever happened. Where people are like, have you heard this? They're doing this thing. And. Hey, say so, so hey, you're getting bit. you're getting heat, so you're getting some heat. That was the only time in my life there was like a little. I think there was some heat That's some on work. that show, and it's again because we were just new, and we were doing our show, which was really fun. Our show was fun. We had fun. Was it sketches? I mean, how was it broken up? The show was we hosted a cabaret. Okay, right? just three of us as ourselves, Price Nash and Blyden, and then we would introduce different acts, and we played all the acts. So we'd introduce Simon and Garfunkel. Nash would introduce Simon and Garfunkel, and I would come on as Paul Simon, and Blyden would be Garfunkel. And uh, Blyden would introduce uh, this uh, husband-wife magician team, and Nash and I would be the husband-wife magician team, and so on and so forth. And and it was fun. 
And then the, this executive from Fox came and saw it, and she really liked it. And so then we were developing it for Fox as a sketch show. And so you don't know what happened with, with that? I mean, because did they just did they decide not to do it, or I mean, I mean? Yeah, we developed it, and we uh, they just yeah they decided not to do it. That must be a little bit. I mean, it's, it's it's so funny we think about stuff like that. Like you know, it's a letdown, but then also you always have to think that it's also a you got that opportunity, which is mm-hmm. good. I mean, I think for anyone, you know, people get so frustrated in this work, but if you know, like I know I've had actors on who said they've been on like twenty pilots that didn't get picked up. Yeah. You know, but it's like at least you've been on a pilot. So I mean, mm-hmm. did was were you get did you feel some confidence off that? Did you get confident from knowing that Fox was interested? I I think we all the best thing about us I think is we all we all had a good presence of mind we all had the presence of mind to be like all right you know what this is that was a really good experience this is our first year here uh we can build off of this and uh, and we did but of course we were bummed out because we you know we loved what we were doing and it, it is a you know it's such a rare opportunity that you get to do anything at all and it was right there but i think again we were you know i know i was appreciative i was like oh that's cool we got paid to do this, right? I mean, that's pretty crazy. Now, were you getting going out for acting auditions for anything? Or were you trying to get commercials or any of that stuff? Or yeah, what were you so doing? yeah, then I was going out for commercials more, and um, and like a couple. Then like we all started going out for guest star stuff. And did you get some commercials? I think so. There was a period in, in the beginning of it. Yeah, in the beginning of the L.A. Times, not the L.A. Paper, not the L.A. Times the paper, but my L.A. Times. I was yeah, I was I was getting some commercials and some guest star stuff. And that was fun, but we were also like that was a period where I was laser focused. Like, no, I didn't want anything to disrupt Price Nashenblad, and so what were you focused? I mean, how do you say when you felt? Well, I mean, you were too focused. What was going on? Like, like if somebody was like, um, like I've always balanced writing and acting. I think, and um, and if someone came to me and they were like, "Hey, do you want to write on this? You know, the show?" It was an immediate no. Can't do that. We've got, you know, we're we're trying to redevelop something, and we're trying to get a new thing out there for Price Nash and Blood, and like it was all sort of like a silent. It wasn't a pact, but we were sort of like, okay, we're kind of we're really gonna devote our time to Price Nash and Blood, and we did do commercials and stuff, but that was, you know, you can do those like pretty. Well, you get to be on the West Wing. I was on West Wing. Yep. What was yep. that like? Great. I mean, you got you got like that's really great. television history. Yeah, I loved it. It was awesome. Now, was it was it was it weird for you to play audition for a drama type role? I mean, it wasn't weird, but I again, I was like, I was really, I feel like they had some, um, they were one of the dramas that brought in um, the casting director. I remember is a great casting director, and she brought she would bring in not just straight drama people, but she would. I think go a little bit out of the box, and so I remember being like, "Oh man, I hope if this worked out, it'd be amazing." Because I don't get brought in for this kind of thing, and uh, and it was great. And it was a funny little scene. It wasn't like like I played a car salesman. That was my first in a long line of car salesman roles. Yeah, and, who? Uh, what else you play a car salesman on? I was a car salesman for a few years on Men of a Certain Age. Oh, well, I want to talk about that show. I love yeah. that show. So it's um. And I was a car salesman. I think I was one more car salesman. Maybe in a commercial, I was a car salesman. Yeah, I don't, I don't see car salesman in you. I, I put a suit on me. Yeah, I put you'll it, see it. You'll, you'll, and you pull it out. I'll come. Let me come back in ten minutes. Okay, and you'll come I'll back. You'll switch, and and, and then, yeah. then people, I'll drive away with a Prius. I'll, yeah, I know. Like, I'll sit there. He'll sure. walk in, and he'll just find me one. That's I am good. Great. Yeah, I'm good. That's how good. I'm real good. So, so as you're doing the, the troop, uh, are you are you your laser focused? Do you feel like your writing is your side because you have to write for the troop? But do you feel like your writing was suffering a little bit because you seem someone who's like 
enjoyed writing a lot. Uh-huh. No, I think it was getting better because we were writing, the three of us were writing, we were really learning how to how to uh, develop sitcoms. Because that, then that's what happened. So they, some people were like, well, why don't you, they liked our show. So we developed a new show, right, a new live show. And then that became more um, about ourselves. It wasn't, there were no more characters. It was just the three of us living in a house. We all lived together at the time too. Okay. So it was all very, you know. It was it was just it was a lot. We we're living together, writing together, working together. Our dreams were dependent on each other, and that's where our show became about, basically, like three dudes living together. And uh, and I think we were. I learned a lot about writing, you know, sitcom structure at that point. Not enough. I feel like I could have learned a lot more. I probably should have taken <laughs> some classes. I'll read a that book. would have helped. I'll read a book. Yeah. yeah, I think Nash read the book, <laughs> but we were very like we know how to do it. And our writing was, it was fun, but I think we all could have benefited from a more, we were very defiant of like, we're, we're going to write a new kind of thing. But I think we could have, you know, benefited from. I I think a lot of us do that. You know, a lot of, when you sit there and you go, well, you have your idea and this is what you're going to do. And, and you have your focus and you're Mm -hmm. like, I don't need that. Cause I, and we all think when we're younger, especially we, we know everything Yeah, and we don't. And, it's a real problem. But, I mean, it is true. I mean, it's yeah. I said when I did stand up comedy, I think, man, if I just you know yeah. kept with this character I had done, I would have been a billionaire by yep. now. But I was before Screech and before Urkel. I was Steve the Stud, and I had pants pulled up and glasses. And this was in like 1989. And if I'd stay, but I hated the character. But if I'd stay with it, of course, I would be OD'd or something. Yeah, else. I was gonna say <laughs> in like 1994, you would have. <laughs> OD in your bathtub. <laughs> so, so now, now, did you guys break up, or was it? When, how, what happened when you started all branching your own ways? So, yeah. So we worked on we were developing this sitcom for NBC, and then um, that got to a certain point, and then, um, and then we decided let's pursue our own things because that was it was an intense couple of years, you know, and so we did. Then you know, then we each you know. We're writing our own things. Mike wrote a play that I was in, and then he made a movie from that play that I was, you know, we did together. And then Nash was writing his own stuff too, and, and we all just kind of went our own ways and did our own things. Um, we eventually got all back together and developed another thing for NBC in like 2008 or something like that. And that, what happened with that? Same. Like we wrote the script, and you know, it's the same. It was actually almost virtually the same. Except they, it was a, it was a much weirder script. It was much less conventional, and so it was much less appealing <laughs> for them. But we loved it. So, it was so really fun. So you're writing and you're acting now. now mm-hmm. Men of a certain age. I mean, how did that come around? Because that's first of all, that that was one of those shows. And I've had you know, Manfrotti's been on here. I've had, uh, uh-huh. I've had Lou Schneider on. You know, all mm-hmm. you know, a lot of guys. And and it was one of those shows. First of all, the cast was amazing. I the mean, best. it was just a great show. I mean, when yeah. you have Andre Brower. You know, Bakula and Ray. I mean, it's just yeah. great. Ridiculous. And that that was one of those shows that were you there from the beginning, or when did you get cast in it? And did you know that it was? I mean, it was well well written. Yeah. So okay. So Mike Royce, right? Who I just talked to. We're trying to get him on the show, but he's yeah? like busy as hell. He's doing. Yeah. He's um. He's yeah. He's really busy developing uh, the one day at a time. Right. Yeah. Um. He's the best. The nicest human being. Did you know him before this? Yeah. So okay. So when I was doing that show with the Sklars way back then in New York, Royce, there was a you know like a nice little community. They used to perform. Um, I think it was the West Bank Theater on Tenth at Ninth and Forty Second Street, maybe. But it was in the basement, 
Lewis Black had a show there at night, at like later, like Friday night to 10.30, and then we would do a show at like 9.30. But anyway, there was always a bunch of comedians who would kind of be around, uh, sometimes dropping by the show, and Royce was one of them, and he was really great. He did a lot of stuff with charts. He was a very smart guy. I got to know him a little bit through that. Um, and then we kind of kept in touch. Um, he almost sold me his car when I moved here. <laughs> and... Um, and then he asked me, he was doing Men of a Certain Age, and he he said, hey, listen, I have a, like a line on our pilot, and you could be a car salesman, and just, it's like two lines, it was two lines. And he said, um, it's not big, but if the show gets picked up, I, I want the part to be bigger because it's a, it'll be a funny role, and you'll, it'll like, you'll do scenes with Andre Brower. And again, it was like the West Wing, West Wing thing. I was like, oh my God, I'll never be in this situation. Right. I've, um, yes. I, I mean, what, it didn't even matter. It was... Andre, but because it was, I was like, that that's insane to me. Of course. So I did it. It was really fun. It was the best crew. Just like Mike and, and Ray, just they just I think they're just known for building like really nice staffs. Like Lou is like a great guy too. Yeah, and a lot of the guys like Scrovan, you know, wrote for yes. Everyone Loves Raymond and Tom Caltabiano. They all they all, and they all became good friends. Mm-hmm. And they were and they're all when you talk to them, they're all just nice guys. They're nice guys, yeah. I think I talked to Phil Rosenthal at a party about Annie, <laughs> it's just like, like what? Anyway, but um, anyway, and then the show got picked up, and Royce called and he said, "Do you want to come on and just be this guy?" And you know, you'll have like a scene or two every sh- <clears throat> every show, but and and I did, and it was great, and this role g- grew throughout the two seasons, and it was uh, it was just it was the best acting experience I've ever had, period, like easily. Well, it's also yeah, because also I mean, it is great in script, and as mm-hmm. I said, it's great. Uh, actors and the guy who played who played uh, Andre Brower's dad, who owned Richard the, Gant. Okay, and he was. I mean, it was just. It was so well. It was who I so, loved before the show. You know, he's a great actor. Yeah, it was such a good cast. Now, now for something like that, did you know when you would get called back, or is it one of those things where it's like because some you, you know there's you were in twenty episodes. Like I'm guessing, uh-huh. so there's probably twenty four episodes total. Were you on every episode? Did they sit there and go, okay, we need you next week, or would you just know like the week before and you get a call? In the beginning, I didn't know. In the beginning, I would look at the makeup, the the makeup and hair had a chart, and so I mean, I would try and ask my agent, like, "Hey, have you heard?" Right. Like, and she would know. She'd be like, "We need. They need you. They know they need you in episodes four, five, and six. Not sure about seven, maybe eight. But I would go when I'd get my makeup done. I would look at her chart because they had the um the schedule for the next week, and I would just quickly see if my number was on it, and breathe a huge sigh of relief if I was, you know. And then I'd, then I'd comb through the script and make sure I didn't get killed or, or not killed, but like fired. That must be the worst, you know, because when you're, when you're a recurring character and you don't know, yeah. and that's the thing, and it's, and it's something like you're having fun and oh, you're yeah. loving it, and all of a sudden you go, wait, wait, I don't want to say F you to the boss because then no. I lose my job. And I did. There was an episode where I did get fired, and I was so crushed, you know, and that's how it ended. And I was really, I was really, really sad. And even though I knew that this was this was one of those moments where I like even though I knew I was really lucky and fortunate to be there, <clears throat> I was just so bummed out because the crew is so cool and it was just such a great place to be. And then Royce told me he was like, no, 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 we're bringing you back. That's just sort of a, it's like the littlest cliffhanger. So then, so then the series ended. Yeah, then the series ended pretty in a pretty sad, drawn out way because it was a really beloved series and it was a Peabody winner. It was a Peabody winner. And Andre was nominated for an Emmy, I think. 
and um and the i think i don't know if the writers were nominated for emmys they should have been i mean it was just a really really loved show and then it got canceled i think because of dallas i don't know it was just one of those situations where i was it was it was a real it was a real bummer yeah it must be because you probably got very close to the crew and it's something that every day you're working so now so it gets canceled you're bummed but yes. Now what do you, what do you do now? Do you sit there? Do you start pursuing writing again? Or you? I mean, what, where are you in your realm? Because you write now, and, right. but then you do so, acting parts. But what? Where were you when that show ended? So this was the weird thing. So when the show, when I got the call for the show, I was writing uh, for a show on Comedy Central, and Roy said, "Can you come do this thing?" And I had to get permission to like go out a couple of days, and then I knew. I knew that the show was only going to last for another two months, Men of a Certain Age, right? So I had an opportunity to write on... Uh, I got a call from my friend who's like, do you want to come in and write for the show on the Cartoon Network? And and I talked with the guys at Cartoon Network, and I said, and they were only going to hire me for a few weeks. It was like a seven-week contract. So I thought that was actually perfect, because I could do that. They knew I'd have to leave for Men of a Certain Age, right? And then it would just kind of dovetail. It all work out perfectly, but then what ended up happening was the Cartoon Network job kept going. Which you didn't think would happen. I just never thought it would keep going because they told me specifically, like, we're hiring you for seven weeks. And that show was regular show. And um, and it's a really fun show. And they're, they I came on with this acting background and this acting job, I should say. And so they've always been relatively cool about, like, if an acting thing comes up that I can go off and and do it as long as it you know within reason um but and so that's where I, that's what happened the show ended men of a certain age ended and i just kept going with regular show and then every once in a while if an acting thing came up i would like i was on new girl and the league and stuff like that and then i would you know go off and shoot that now now day the, or two. the acting i mean the writing the writing gig uh now, explain to the guests what the regular show is about. Right. So regular show is on Cartoon Network. It's about two best friends who work in a park named Mordecai and Rigby. Uh, they're kind of slackers, you know. They're like in their early 20s. And Mordecai's a bluebird and Rigby's a raccoon. And they're just like, you know, they have real problems. I mean, you know, real like 20-something problems. Like where can we get that new burrito? <laughs> Stuff like that. And the show is always very grounded until... It, it gets to a very magical place, like a bunch of unicorns storm the building or some zombies come in or there's an earthquake or something. Uh, and the show's a lot of fun. And it's it's one of those shows where, like, uh, it's primarily for, uh, like, kids, junior high, high school. But adults end up really liking it because we reference the 80s a lot. And, right. And movies like Big Trouble in Little China and stuff like that. So it works on a couple levels and... And it's just very, it's just fun. It's a fun show to work for. I'd never written it for animation. And how is it, I was going to say, you know, the, how is it to sit there to write for a younger crowd, even though, as you said, you do write it for the older. It's like, I know uh-huh. people who love watching shows with their kids because yeah. they're like, you know, well, hey, they make some great references, you know, and that's the thing. Like a lot of these shows we watch, when you're an eight grade 80s reference, you're like, all right. And the kids don't get it, mm-hmm. but the adults write it. Now, when you sit there, I mean, you, you, you wrote your sketch, you wrote different stuff, you acted in an adult series. When you're sitting there, you have to come and write, you know, even though you can do the 80s things, how do you learn in your, how do you set in your mind frame that, okay, you know what? I have to write for a certain demographic. Right. I mean, is, is that hard for you? Is Children that a challenge? Children a certain age. 
Right. It's same. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be a challenge, but it ends up that we just write for us, and that we're not. I mean, we know the parameters. You know, it can't be raunchy and it can't be too mature. But at the end of the day, we're writing just they have a problem, and they're trying to solve the problem, and that's that's really it. You know, and but the comedy of it, I think, is coming through the ridiculousness of the situation, and that's. You know, I think when you're writing any sitcom or anything, as long as you have the world, you know, like, I think it, I think it all works out. And we're, but we're not thinking like, oh, this has to be for a seven-year-old kid. Right. Because I can't think that way. But I think we also know like, well, we also can't write like, you know, this very graphic thing. (laughs) But it's like anything. Yeah, what's it like writing for animation? Because it's not like if you write for a show especially when you wrote for like tom green and the different live shows <laughs> you automatically see the feedback it's like stand up but this i mean once you write a script how long until you see the final product i mean your animation has changed over the years it doesn't take as long as it used to like the simpsons they say would take forever by the time it came back when you let's say you sit down and write a script on monday now what is the process for writing this show how many days is it and do you i mean because you don't do, do you do table reads with the with the characters yeah. or so when you're sitting there you just sit down to write it yeah, I mean, basically, the whole process takes nine months. Okay. So we come up with an idea. I mean, my job is basically I, I help come up with ideas, characters, and story stories, arcs, etc. And then I'm writing an outline, which will go through several, usually like a week or two of beating out. And then that outline is given to two storyboard artists who then draw it and add a lot of dialogue and then it's handed off to you know then there's another process well then it's voiced right then it there goes through an animatic and so on and so forth but the whole thing takes nine months so that must be that must be sort of odd for a writer to sit there and know when you and you know because you're involved in it and know what your product is you're not going to know for nine months it's not instant gratification no it's there's i mean the most gratification comes when you go to Comic-Con and just thousands of people are like, are really into it. But otherwise, you're if you want that kind of gratification, you, you have to read the internet. Right. Which is not a good place to get gratification. You know, why do you think that? Why do you think that? I mean, have you guys gotten slammed on the internet? Or, I mean... I mean, we get everything. We get praise. We get slammed. Like, what do they we say get... when they slam? It's like, it's like I think, how can you slam animation? Come on. I see how people slam shit all the time. I think uh-huh. sometimes people just slam stuff to slam stuff. It's like sure. when, you're, when you read Yelp. You yeah. know, when you, if I, I've written Yelp reviews, but I only put a good one. And I make it very simple. Like, hey, you sure. know what? This place was great. Yeah. But then you see these people write this eloquent long speech about how yeah. the wings were yeah. so bad. And I'm like, shut the hell up. Just write the wings sucked. Right. <laughs> So, so your problem isn't the slam as much as the eloquent slam. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate the eloquent. It's like, yeah. it's, it's like the humble. You brag. just want the hard. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, quick you know, slam. You know what the humble brag is, right? Sure. It's like when someone's like, "Oh yeah, I was walking to the bank to deposit this check I got for a right. gig, yeah. and I saw a car accident." It's the same thing. Just say, yeah. "Hey, I got a big check. Kiss yeah. my ass." Right. <laughs> so now, now, you want more of that? What's uh? I mean, what are some of the slams they'll say? Like, how do you slam a cartoon? I mean, it's a really, popular it's show. Plot. It's mainly a plot thing. Like, uh, like some, there was a, there were a couple, we're writing season eight now. And so in seasons five and six, seven's on the air now, but seasons five and six, maybe even four. But anyway, 
few seasons ago, there was there were more like love triangle things, which was something we never had. But suddenly we had these, you know, a couple relationshipy storylines, and that caused a huge rift in the in the regular show community. Because because <laughs> a lot of people that watch it, uh, I mean, there's kids that watch it, there's stoners that really enjoy it, and like cool parents, and you know, some of those, a lot of that. There's the Venn diagram of that isn't really they don't often love the the relationshipy stuff. But for character development we thought it was necessary and interesting and and uh but that that would get slammed on the internet a lot. And people like you said, people on the internet just like slamming stuff, you know. And it's like those it, raccoons stupid. Or, yeah. you know. And the worst is like if it's like a twenty five year old slamming it and you're like, Hey, it's written for uh kids. Come on, it's not it's not it's right. not gonna be this I mean, I like the show iCarly because it was funny. I wrote knew it was written for kids, but it was shot well. That right. guy, one guy was funny as hell. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to sit there and go, hey, hey, yeah. iCarly sucks. It's like, yeah. no, because, you know, I shouldn't be watching it anyway. Sure. And here's the other thing. It's not, it's like, then you don't have to like it. Right. But it's like not every, everything, in fact, more than ever, things aren't for everybody. You know, like, like Men of a Certain Age was for Men of a certain age. age. <laughs> right. Regular shows for, you know, like TV is more niche now. Films are more niche now. It's not like, you know, you know, The Bachelor, things that are appealed to everybody are often the most watered down things. And it's just, but even that doesn't appeal to everybody. What, The Bachelor? Yeah. I mean, like the most, things that get the most viewers, you know, right. The Voice or whatever. So... Just don't watch it. There right. are 45,000 literally <laughs> other things you can watch or do or listen to or play outside. Like, just do that. Now, now you've done some voice work on the regular show, too. A little bit, yeah. Now, now was that something you asked to do or is that something – because, I mean, sure, if you wrote – if you if you have the ideas, it's something that you're probably interested in doing. Yeah, that wasn't something I asked to do, but it was given to me and it was fun. I mean, there's a character named Quips. Who's a ma- who's like a comedian, <laughs> a stand-up comedian? So they just thought, oh, Matt does comedy, he can do it. Have you ever done stand-up? I have. Okay, now what? Not a lot at no, all. Now what was that like? The first time I tried it, it was in New York. It was towards the tail end, and I really wanted to do something different, you know. And I'd done improv and sketch, and I thought, in a very arrogant way, like, it's got to be the same, right? <laughs> and it, as you know, couldn't be more different. And it's such a discipline. <laughs> That I just, I remember walking up there, and the first time I did it, it was, it was okay. It was fine. But then the second time, I totally bombed. Third time, I bombed worse. And I was like, oh, shit. I, you, okay. Because that was also the time when it was getting popular to walk out there with just, like, some notes. Right. You know, and that's very lazy. Like, yeah, I wrote down, like, oh, Chipotle. Ah, here's something funny. Chipotle's interesting. And then I had no joke. And the audience doesn't. You know, they don't want you to walk up there with your yeah. scrap. They want you to have jokes and be prepared. And so um, so I stopped doing that. And then I kind of went back to it. Every once in a while, I would host something. And I felt like I could get away with it a little bit there because that was a little looser. And I could be a little bit more a little bit more improvisational. But the only thing I do at all now that's sort of like, imp- that's sort of like stand-up is set list. But that's improv stand-up. Wow, this is a, this, I didn't even know that because you know what? You know who is my first guest tonight? Today, Troy Conrad, Paul Preventa. Oh, wow! There the you set go. So now, now you've done set list. Now uh-huh. I want to ask. I want to ask you because Paul's only done it once or twice, and he said he's scared shitless of doing really? it. Really? He's only done it a few times, and he said he just 
it, it terrifies them. Really? What was your experience? Because, you know, you I mean, not doing stand-up, uh-huh. it, and, but you write, so you have a quick mind of doing improv. What was your experience when you did it? I loved it. I loved it so much. I was really, really nervous to do it because everyone doing it in my first show, I've done it maybe three or four times. The first show I did, everyone did stand-up. And so they had their voice, you know, they, and they had their patter and, and, and that's so important to a good standup. Um, whereas me, I was walking up there just kind of like, Hey everybody. Right. <laughs> I couldn't rely on anything except just literally making things up. And I think that benefited me because I was, I had no crutch. I had nothing. I just had to keep talking. And, um, so it made it very fun. Um, and every time I've done it, it's, it's really fun. It's a fun show. I mean, if you, I love shows where you just have to give yourself, you follow the, the again, like you're within the parameters and you follow, you know, your own instincts and, uh, and trust them. And that was really fun. Now you said you highly recommend it. Well, will you be doing it again soon? Or I mean, how's that work? Or do you just get, you have to get invited or how's that work? Yeah. I mean, I, you have to get, if, yeah, if you're Paul, if you're listening to this one, Troy Troy Conrad books it usually, uh, and he and I were talking a couple weeks about me doing it again. So I don't know how often they because Troy has another show called Prompter, which is also very fun, which is like a TED Talk. Have you done that? I've done that. Yeah, I did that once. Uh, that's also very fun, but I don't know which one they're focusing on now, or if they're doing both. Or but I know Setlist is all over the place, so like all over the world. Exactly. So so now also you said she said Comic Con. Uh-huh. But what was that like going? Because, you know, when I lived in San Diego like 18 years ago, Comic-Con was just starting out and it was the convention center wasn't even redone. And me and my mm-hmm. ex-wife lived in the gas lamp district where it is. Mm-hmm. And Comic-Con back then, maybe you'd see a few people walking down the street with like a costume. Right. It was like nothing. Now it's this, it's like a rock concert. What's yes. it like when you go there? And now do you do panels or, or is it, you just, I mean, what's it like for your show? Because your show is probably very popular. It's I mean, I've been there three times. Um, each time was pretty nuts. I mean, the Comic-Con itself is a is a madhouse. Because now, you know, it's like, that's where Hunger Games will premiere something, or that's where the new Superman movie will premiere something. And it's insane. And every fourth person you pass is either, like, dressed like a giant furry alien or, right. like, a hot... Game of Thrones, Khaleesi, you know? And for our show in particular, it was really cool because you'd meet fans. I mean, people would come from all over the place and they'd dress up as characters and and you'd really get to interact with them and that was really great. I mean, it was really cool and there was a guy... I mean, this shows you how deep it goes, but my character that I voiced has been on the show like three times, maybe. And there was a guy dressed as that guy. I mean, that to me was insane. Did you, get a, did you get a picture with him? I got a picture with him. I mean, it was a grown man. <laughs> like it was a dad of another kid who was dressed as something else. And I was like, wow. It was just, it's neat to be a part of that, you know. Now, did you so, guys win an Emmy? Yeah. Okay, now what, for what category? Best animation. And now, uh, short form, best short form animation. Now, what's that like? Did you get to go to an awards? I mean, how's, how? Yeah, I went to the awards. I got a statue. Now, so uh, you have an Emmy? I have one. What yeah. do you do with it? Where's what do it, I do with it? Where's it at? When my in-laws come, I put it right by their bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm go. like, see? 
<laughs> Your daughter didn't do so bad. No, where do you, where do you keep it at usually? In our office. My wife and I just have an office. And so, so what was the, what was the ceremony like? And what, did you expect to win? Or I mean, that, that's got to be a weird thing. I mean, I okay. So we were nom- We've been nominated six times overall, and we got the first time we got nominated. I was just like, I can't believe I'm here. This is really great. And then the second time, I thought maybe we could win. Wow, could we win? That'd be crazy. And I jokingly, like right before our category, like they were starting to answer category, and I jokingly stood up in the aisle, and I was like, "Come on, guys, we're gonna get called up." And then we got called up. <laughs> But I was kidding, and I just hustled right down. You know, you're like hustling down the thing, and hearts racing a million miles an hour, and it was very surreal. It was one of the most surreal moments of my life. And now that you... and the horror at my wedding, like very surreal. Yeah, <laughs> your wedding and my yeah. What happened at your wedding? No, I'm saying the horror. You okay, know, like dancing the horror. I thought you said the horror. Oh no, like, yeah, like I know. like like Cece Deville from Poison. Suddenly the I was, horror. Yeah. So now now New York are getting married. Yeah, so you have the the Emmy. I mean, that must. I mean, that's like a you one of the very few. That must mm-hmm. be an amazing feeling. It was. It was really cool. I've never up until that point, I've never really been an awards person, <laughs> but I, I but now I am. Now I think they're really important. Now no, now I'm kidding. I'm joking. No, you need. Well, you, are you, have you won one since then, though? Or? No, we've been nominated a couple times, but no. Do you go every year? Uh huh. And so, and you get a tux? Do you wear a tux? I wear my black suit. Okay, that's yeah. good. You don't need a tux. Yeah, a tux is sometimes. Those are for my weddings. Exactly, your Torah. Yeah. <laughs> my horror. Horror. Yeah. So now, now, are you? St- what's Mighty Med? I saw something on your IMDb. Oh yeah, Mighty Med was a show. Uh, it was a Disney show uh, that I ha- I was guest starred on last year, and uh, I played the principal. I did that a few times. You like that? Do you like yeah. that? I mean, like I've like- never done again. I'd never done anything like that before. My career is a is a long list of like tiny things I do quickly that I've never done before. Well, that's good. It's though. Not like a long string. But no, well, the regular show's been on for a yeah, while. no, no, that for sure. That's been on. That's been on the longest. So now, how do people like react to you when they meet you and they find out you're right the regular show? And if they have kids, do they sit there because it's like anything. I've had people who've been on Disney shows who like. You guys are rock stars with kids. I mean, you know, and like people sit there and go, oh, hey, hey, uh, Jimmy, uh-huh. this is Matt. He writes for the regular show. I mean, do people ever introduce you like that? Yeah, a typical interaction goes like this. A dad or mom will get really, really excited. And be like, you write, wait, what? Like, we'll talk. And they'll, like, normally when you see me at a party, you're completely disinterested. Like, oh, who's this schlub? And then, you know, maybe you have to talk to me. So you're like... Oh, what do you do? Blah blah blah. And then, oh wait, you write for the Cartoon Network? Because then her kid, she's like, oh wait, what do you do there? And then I say regular show. And if her kid likes it, she's very, she wants me to meet the kid, right? So then suddenly, very excited, very excited. Every time, brings over the kid that supposedly loves our show. Nine-year-old kid walks over. Hey, uh, hey, uh, uh, Dax, uh, Matt, this guy writes for regular show. It's like your favorite show. You watch it every day, like eight times a day. And the kid goes. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I think I think it's same lot, time. That's a, every time. I think it's a lot. Of time. It's, it's the parents that are more excited because yeah. they're like, "Wait a second. Because you know, it depends what they do. I mean, if if they're in the entertainment business, mm-hmm. it's anything. And if they're if they you know, but if they're not, and their kid watches, it, I think they sit there and they probably. I think it wants them to validate, like, "Hey, see that? Your mom's cool. Like, yeah, I know. I know this writer. Right, right. He's cool." And the kids like, "Yeah," because you know, kids are punks now. Kids weren't punks like when we were younger. I think they were different kind of punks, but I think, you know, now they're a little punkier. 
little punkier. Well, you know, again, it's the internet. They, there's everything on the internet's making everybody everybody worse. Now, can people find a regular show on the internet? Yeah, I mean, it is on Hulu now. I think. I mean, you can go on the Cartoon Network dot com, uh, CN dot com, I believe. It's on the actual network. Um, I think it's on Hulu. It was there's there's like a season or two on Netflix, but then I think Hulu bought everything okay. for the Cartoon Network. Now, do you ever watch the episodes after they're done? Yeah, sure. And I mean, so you'll sit there and do you sit there and just when you hear your voice, are you like, wait a second, does that throw you off? Yeah, I don't like. I mean, again, I'm on very few of them, but I don't like generally watching myself on anything. I watched all of Men of a Certain Age just because I was proud of it and I loved the whole thing. I mean, I'm proud of everything. I mean, I'm proud of regular show too, but. Um, when I am on regular show, I probably don't listen to it or watch it because it does. I don't know. I, I just judge myself too much. That's normal. I, I, I never listen to my show because I go, I don't want to hear myself talk. Someone goes, do you ever listen to yourself talk? I go, no. I go, I don't want right. to hear it. And plus, I only hear it to, when I set it up on my website and I go, okay, it works. Or I check the station. I make sure they're playing the show. Cause right. I go, okay, I want to make sure they're playing it. And then sometimes it's one station in D, uh, DC is like, Oh, we had a new server went down. We'll play it tomorrow. Uh, that's why I don't even tell people what time to listen to it. I go, just yeah. wait until it's on my website and it works out. Yeah, I'm not a good self promoter either. That's the thing. So well, no, but you, but you should be. You, you, you have to start today. Your, your, ne- your next I'll promote show. this. You'll promote this. So now for you though. Not now, for now, now, do you tweet? Yes. Now, do you tweet a lot? I. What's a lot? I don't even know. I don't know. Like it. a few times a day, one time. Yeah. Day. What do you tweet? Do you tweet jokes or what are you tweeting? It's usually a joke or just an a f- semi funny observation. Now, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Whale Cave. Now, how'd you get... What, what's Whale Cave? What's, Whale Cave, I used to have a podcast myself called Whale Cave where people talked about music. Okay. I don't have that anymore. But you, should. Uh, you can get it. You can get it on iTunes. Whale Cave. Uh, yeah, comedians and writers talk about... Like, tell a story about music. You know, if they were in a band or something. So, you're, it's at Whale Cave. Yeah, at Whale Cave, one word, at W-H-A-L-E-C-A-V-E. And then you tweet. Well, you you know they gotta follow you. You know I'm gonna follow you. Follow me. I'm gonna follow you. I'm. I think I'm usually amusing. Oh, that's what you slash sometimes political. Okay, well the political politics are good. I. I I mean, do you think so? I feel like people get. I feel like my. See, here's the other thing about my Twitter followers. A lot of them are regular show people. So you have to watch it. Who? Yeah. So there's that balance. So it tends to be a pretty clean twittering. When I'm out there tweeting, that's good. But uh, I'm gonna follow. But, you know, cave. politics. You know, it's a it's an interesting mix. A lot of Burbank talk on there. Good. Wow, that's I love talking I'm about Burbank. Listen. Okay. Well, you know, we got to wrap up soon. Oh yeah. Let's do no, it. no, that's uh, Well Cave. Is there a quiz at Well Cave? At Well Cave. And uh, any any other social media presence? No. Okay. Not that I can think of. At Well Nothing cave. of value. So go to Well Cave at Well Cave. People follow him on Twitter. Follow yeah. me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. Also go to my website, CooperTalk.net. There's uh, 470 episodes up there. Whoa. Or you can email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. Also go to CafeValet.com. Buy that coffee maker. You know, I when I did comedy on the road, that's the coffee makers they have in hotel rooms. But it's small, it's compact, it's for one. And when you take the tray out, you just throw it away. Mm. So go to CafeValet.com. It's regularly 25 bucks for their cool little maker. With 10 cups of coffee, if you type in Cooper, all one word, C-O-O-P, you don't have to put it in capitals. You can't put it in capitals. If you type that in, you get $5 off. So that'd be perfect. So go get do that and get that. And also, go buy my cookbook, StopTheSalt.com. When I had my health problem, I had to change my diet. So it's 120 easy recipes 
No pictures intimidate you. There's no list of major ingredients. It's basic cooking. It's easy. Recipes you'll love. Go to, you can get it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com, or you can go to my website, StopTheSalt.com, where I make more money, and I'll sign it. So that's all that counts. I'll make more money. <laughs> and also, uh, this Sunday, January 31st, 7 o'clock at Flappers, I'll be open up for Hal Sparks. First show in a long time, so check it out. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, have a great weekend, and I will talk to you next week.